This is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is GroovyTube. Yeah. And we're back. I feel like we've been away a long time. Yeah. But we did have our special Christmas Groovy Christmas episode. We did have a Christmas Christmas one, but it does feel like we've been gone a long time. It's been, well, the holidays and Mo was moving back into her house. And all sorts of stuff. Stuff was going on. But, but now we're, we're, we're going to try to get on a regular schedule. Every two weeks. Every we're gonna two weeks. T- We're going to alternate with Crime and Stuff, our other podcast. Yes. Which if you haven't listened to, you might enjoy. Even it's been so long, I forgot that we were in the middle of season four. Yes. Already. Yes, we are. And so today we're talking about... We're talking about episodes... Seven? Seven through twelve. Episode seven, The Show Must Go On. With a question mark. Marsha talks her mother into appearing with her in the high school family frolics. The next one, Jan, the only child. Jan complains about her lack of privacy and gradually finds herself excluded from the other children's oh, activities. Because she wishes she was so an only child. Her. Episode 9, Career Fever. Mike mistakenly believes that Greg wants to follow in his footsteps because of a paper he prepares for school. Mm. He doesn't really prepare it. He, he writes it. Episode 10, Goodbye Alice, Hello. Alice decides to leave when she feels she can no longer communicate with the children. The children are assholes. Yeah. That's one way to look at it. Episode 11, Greg's Triangle. Hmm. Greg has the difficult task of judging a cheerleading contest between his sister and his girlfriend. Hmm. And I'm not really sure that Greg should be judging cheerleading, well, considering I his fetish for cheerleading. You know, in episode 12, everyone can't be George Washington. Peter tries out for the role of George Washington in the school play, but ends up as Benedict Arnold. Oh, Benedict yeah. Arnold. Yes, we have a lot to say about that. We certainly do. So, the show must go on, question mark. Yes. It opens with, well, they show Carol and Alice in the kitchen, but then they show Greg and Marcia coming into the backyard, coming home from school. And there are arguing about something. Yes, Marsha has to tell Carol something. And uh, we don't know what it is. But Greg Greg wants no part of it. He even tells her she may have to run for her life yeah. after she tells Carol. So they enter the kitchen. Carol's telling Alice how nice the new shelf paper is. So apparently do. they were putting shelf paper Which, in the cupboards. Lucky there's two of them to do all the little chores. Yeah. Marsha tells Carol there's a talent night at the high school to the, raise money. And Carol's f- like, yeah, we're going to... The oh. family night frolics. Yes. Yeah. And Carol's like, well, of course, we're going to buy tickets. Yeah, well, Marsha takes forever to get to the well, point. Well, also, it's for special school equipment. Right, it's a fundraiser. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I know. Well, I don't think they do either. But <laughs> Marsha takes forever to get to the point, but the upshot is that she signed up herself and Carol to sing a duet. And Carol is aghast. And they point out that she loves singing. Yeah, they're in the family room later. Mike is reading the paper, and Mike is wearing this shirt with a giant herringbone pattern. I know, it's kind of it's like, it kind of causes... Yeah, it's like, yeah. You know, he points out that she sings at church, but she says she doesn't want to sing in front of a bunch of mothers. Yeah, apparently the woman will judge her harshly, but she has a beautiful voice. She does. That's her problem. And Mike's like, but it's family night. Yeah, Mike says everyone should do their part. Yeah, he's very condescending. And Mike and Greg are urging her to do it. And And Greg says, you know, a lot of parents won't aren't going to do anything. Yeah, so they wear her down. And Carol's like, yeah, but people are going to, like, pay to get in. Like yeah, yeah, concerned about and also there's a Benedict Arnold yes, reference. Yes, Mike calls her Benedict. Which I just want to point out that's yet another of the many the obsessions someone who writes the show and has. And she with reluctantly 
finally agrees, and then she rips Mike's paper in half while he's reading it. Yeah. she's pretending to ignore her. Yes. And then Marsha runs up to her room and says to Jan and Cindy, Mom will do it! And Jan and Cindy... Are excited. Yeah. Because they have no life, apparently. Yeah, and then it shows Peter and Bobby selling tickets door to door. And for once, it's not like... <laughs> Some old guy in a t-shirt. What do you kids want? It's kind of a frowsy housewife. Yes. And she kind of looks... interested. She's just like, eh, no. Yeah. And then from behind her, Muriel, who you might remember from the real Jan Brady. And we know she's not an appealing person because she has buck teeth teeth and glasses. glasses. It's her house. It's her mom. She tells Peter, well, I can get my mom to buy a ticket if you go to the movies with me. Yeah. And Pete says to Bobby, and Pete and Bobby start walking away. And Pete Pete says to Bobby, can can you see me taking her? I don't want to be stuck with Muriel. And Bobby says, well, it's better than being stuck with those tickets. So they go back and apparently. Muriel runs. It was kind of funny. She's like, mom. Yeah. Then we're back at the kitchen. Alice is on her way out. She's got a bunch of tickets, so she's going to give Sam. He can get rid of them at the butcher shop. Yeah. And Carol's going through a songbook, and she says she wants to do a current song, but doesn't understand any of the words. All those 1972 songs. And Alice says, no problem. You can't hear what they're saying anyway. Yeah. She has some funny play with words that I can't. Yes. And did you look up? I did. I was curious as to the top songs. 1972 is when this was filmed. Number one was. I'll take, and these are the Billboard 1972 top 10. Mm-hmm. I'll take you there by the Staple Singers. Yeah, I love that. I love I'll that song. Lean on me by Bill Withers. Oh yeah. Now see, Marsha and Carol could have sung, they sung that. Done that in their hobo outfits. Yeah. Oh girl by the Chai Lights. Oh, that's a good one. Let's stay together by Al Green. Classic. I Gotcha by Joe Tex, which I had to that's look a up. Funk, that was kind it's of kind funky. of a rapey song. Yeah. He's like, you can't get away from me because I gotcha. Yeah. Um, baby Don't Get Hooked on Me by Mac Davis. Mac Davis. I used to love the baby, Mac Davis baby, show. Baby, baby, don't get hooked on me. Uh, Brandy by Looking <laughs> Glass. one of your You're favorites. You're a fine girl. Well, I like good that song. wife you would make. Well, would be. Would be. Yes. <laughs> yes, you know. It's Backstabbers by the OJs. That was a good one. Where is the Love by Roberta Where Flack. Where is the Love? And Song Sung Blue by Neil Diamond. Those uh, are the top ten. Everybody. And then I was going down. There's so many songs that remind me of my childhood. I was like, you know, the radio was always on. The radio was always on. There was one station and everybody listened to it. That's right. Yeah. So then we're back at Alice Sam's. Alice is at Sam's, at the right. butcher shop, which looks much better than it did when Greg yeah, went there. Yeah, he's, he's renovating. He's finally like done plywood walls anymore. But she asks him when he's going to pick her up to bring her to the show. Yeah, and he said, I told you I'd take the tickets, but not you. What an asshole. And it turns <laughs> out that he's got bowling practice, and it's their last big practice before they take on the bakers. Yeah, because and apparently all these tradesmen, tradesmen do stuff do, together. Yes, and he's very... Excited about bowling and Alice practice. is pissed. She's devastated. And she, she tells him to go kiss his bowling right. ball again. She basically threatens to withhold sex. Yeah. And yeah. storms out, and Sam's like, women. And then Alice is in the kitchen, and she goes, men. She swats a fly, and then she's like, men. Yeah, and she tells Jan and Cindy, don't ever go out with a butcher that bowls. And Cindy and Jan are like, don't you want to make up with Sam? And Alice admits, yeah, but, you But know. you can't let them know they have. No. You, you know, you rules. have to. This he's was before the rules because he's been taking her rules. for granted. Well, the rules are based on how women behaved with men, and yeah. And Alice says you can't let him know. And Jan said, "Yeah, you got to keep him guessing." And then Alice says, "When they don't 
when you they think you don't need them, they come running, and that's when no, they you, come crawling. They back. come crawling, and back. then she swats a fly. Yeah, and it's and like oh it's god, it's kind of gross because she swats it right on the table next to where their Chan and Cindy are sitting, and then she just flicks it on the floor. It's like ew. What? Now we're in the living room, and Mike is coming home from work. So it must be like two in the afternoon, yeah. and, and Carol, apparently he forced his employees to buy tickets. Oh yes, he's very excited about that. And Carol and Mark, yeah, like his his assistant and his secretary and stuff. Who are two different things. Yeah, Back if they're they interested in staying employed, I guess they have to go to the family frolics. <laughs> Carol and Marsha are sitting at the little pass-through bar between the kitchen and family room working on a song from Gypsy. Uh, she doesn't say it, what song it is. She just says, we have a song from Gypsy that we're I think she at. says, from the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical Gypsy, <laughs> just in case nobody's ever heard of Gypsy before. Greg comes in and he says that he's going to be playing the guitar because there's a shortage of talent. Aunt Mrs. Tuttle asked him, and Mike's like, oh, that's great. Greg's like, you and I are doing a thing. And Mike's like, I, I can't do anything. I don't have any talent. And then Greg's like, well, she, Mrs. Tuttle wants us to do a dramatic reading, and Mike's like, he seems intrigued by right, that. Right, like Michael Reed and Greg will play the guitar. like, oh, and then he's like, oh, maybe. Yeah. He acts all like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, but what, what do I choose? Well, Mrs. Tuttle, they don't have to worry about that, because Mrs. Tuttle has something very specific she wants them to do, and it's a rolled up paper that Greg hasn't looked at. Greg has no idea what it is. He hasn't looked he at it. Care. Carol says that once they get their acts perfected, they can do them with the other four kids. Yeah. And then the boys are in the bedroom, and Mike comes in, and he's like, there's a problem with this poem. And he starts reading it, and then the boys all pretend they're yawning and falling asleep. And the asleep. poem is Day is Done by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. From Portland, Maine. He's from Portland, and, Maine. And as an English major, I just want to say that's a classic poem, and they're the ridiculing of yeah, it. Yeah, they're snoring and pretend to fall asleep. And Mike does admit it's a beautiful poem, but reading it He's like that like, is going to bore people. As a piece of entertainment, and then he gets like a little oh, light bulb look on his oh, face. I have an idea. And then he starts telling the boys about one time in college, he had to do a dramatic reading, and then they could do that thing where they cut away so you don't know what he's... So you don't know what he... Cause, so we'll be surprised. Surprised later. And later he's in the living room. He's on the couch writing and he's very giddy. He's with excitement. And he, Carol's like, are you still worried about the poem? And he's like, no. Yeah. But he won't tell her what he's going to do. No, he won't. And then Alice comes in to serve them and she's bitching about Sam, but also saying she doesn't care. But she obviously does care because she's pouring coffee in their cups, but there's no coffee in the coffee mm-hmm. pot. They're kind of condescending. Very condescending. Her. They're amused about By her, her silly little yeah, problems with Sam. And Sam, it's kind of like... But Jan and Cindy are more helpful. Yes, they're at the butcher shop. And unbeknownst, we realize, Alice, they're there basically to set Sam up. And Sam is fishing for info about Alice. Right. They kind of goad him into it, and they tell him she's got a new guy, and Jan says they're having secret rendezvous. <laughs> and when Alice comes home from them, she's laughing and giggling and humming. So, of course, Sam gets all pissed off. Yes. And he closes the shop to go confront Alice. And he says, and they're like, are you closing the shop? And he's like, yes. Nobody gets any more meat in here until I settle Alice's, I think he says tab or something. Yeah. He's going to settle something. Yeah. And then he shows up in the kitchen, still in his butcher. um, Well, he was And he confronts Alice. And, you know, is it the guy at the vegetable stand? Yeah, is it? And she's like, Malcolm? And he's like, I see how he looks at you when you thump his honeydews. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, there's a Ralph at the fish market. And, it, you know, obviously the point is Alice would only be going out with another tradesman. Yeah, she couldn't go out with, like, the, a lawyer the or, surgeon from the hospital. Right. Or, but she seems to like his forcefulness. Yes, she does. It, it, he said, I'm going to pick you up tonight. Yeah. 
he's going to take her to the show. And then the next thing, we're at the show, and he, and um, there are some black people in the audience. I was going to make a joke about how you can tell it's not Fenway Park because there's black people in the audience, but nobody would get that unless they're from New England. Well, we do have New England fans. Yeah. So but, yes, there is like a gay couple sitting next to Alice. We assume. <laughs> two, two uncomfortable guys. looking men. And on stage is what we assume is a father-daughter team playing, the girls playing the trumpet or the cornet maybe, and the father's playing the saxophone, and they're horrible. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we were supposed to recognize You could kind of tell a tune, but now I can't remember what what? Yeah, but it turns out it, in the credits, the sax player was Frank Duval, who wrote the music for the show, and is a he's a musician, and musician. he was on Firmwood tonight. So it was kind of a little joke they had that he was yes. playing so horribly, and the audience is looking pained. But then Carol and Marsha come on, and they're kind of laughing at him, which is kind of and Carol and Marsha come on, and they're dressed like hobos, and they do the song together wherever we go wherever we go i can't sing but you guys know the song you heard and it's cute they do a very cute dance with it it is very cute you can tell that they're having a good time in barry williams book he says that that was her favorite episode maureen mccormick said she wished that they would do that in every episode a yeah. little song and dance because yeah, she had well, so much fun and you can tell there she's yeah, having fun she could have been on the curl burnett show it was cute though yeah and then Mrs. Tuttle, we assume, says the talent is not just with the ladies in the family, and it's Mike and Greg's turn. And they come out and they're wearing tuxedos. Right, and, and there's, there's candelabra, like a, yeah. and so it's all fancy looking. And there's like a podium for Mike to stand at. And Greg, you know, does a couple things on the guitar, and then Mike starts reading, and it seems very serious at first. And, like, there's a line that says, as a feather is wafted downward, and as he says that, a feather comes, but then a whole bunch of feathers. Yeah, and it turns out... Bobby and Peter are up in the rafters, and they just keep driving things like there's a reference to an eagle, and this rubber chicken comes down on a rope. And it's very farcical, and it's funny. They dump water on Mike's yeah, head. Yeah, and the audience is cracking up. And the audience loves So it. they're a big hit. They are. And then the tag is the family room. Carol brings she and Mike cold drinks, and she doesn't then solve them from person. Right, well, she the says shoes. the phone hasn't stopped ringing all day. It complimenting them, and Mike's like, well, yeah, you and Marsha were really good. And he goes, well, there's been just as many for you and Greg. And I just want to point out, kids, that, you know, before social media, that's what people would do. They would call people on the phone. Yeah, Yeah, call people and say, hey, you were great. And stuff. And then and Alice comes in and says she's making a turkey because... With all the trimmings. Yeah, because it's going to be a Thanksgiving celebration. And they're like, Alice, I think you got your calendar on. <laughs> but it turns out it's because... Sam's back. And she's like, she's Sam's got back him. and I've got him. It's like, really? Is he that much of a prize? Yeah. So this was a mildly entertaining episode. That I thought it was, yeah, it was okay. It, I and it got to show off their... I think it was mostly so Florence Henderson and... Maury McCormick could do a little dance piece Well, that always takes up time. Yeah. I seem to like the performance things. Yeah, the plot was there wasn't much when you think about it. No, there really wasn't. And there weren't any classic Brady trickery. Yeah, oh, oh, I guess the uh, subplot was Alice and Sam. Yeah. Maybe there wasn't really, no. It was was amusing. Well, the only trickery was the thing with Sam and... Yeah, Jan and Cindy. But normally, like, that would have been the whole thing of the show, and it's like nobody ever remarked on it. The next episode is Jan, the only child. So you already know from the title. Didn't you read in one of the books that there were, like, so many with the word Jan? Yes, I can't remember. Like, none of the other kids have their names in... Well, and Jan is definitely the one that has the most issues yes and we've already talked about how we think that lloyd and sherwood she was their least favorite yes and they felt she was neurotic so they made i think part of their problem was against her mother too 
Yeah. She had like a kind of a stage mom type of thing, yes. and I think they were annoyed by that. But I also think she was more, uh, Maureen McCormick was a people pleaser, and um, Susan Olsen was a little girl, or at least they made her act like one. I think they just didn't want to deal with a And also, they've already, they already said that when we talked about it in one of the previous shows, how um, Lloyd, how Marsha was so glamorous and blah, blah, blah. It's like, so they favored her. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, it opens with Jan pounding on the bathroom door, which is what they always do. Like when Greg wanted his own room, that was the... Yep, that's the thing, pounding on the bathroom. Peter's Peter's locked in supposedly brushing his teeth, but he's what, 14, 15? Right, and he, yeah, and he comes out to confront her and while they're arguing Cindy runs in between them and, and Jan's like Cindy yeah and like, Jan's on, very share upset the bathroom. you're both girls so this is one of those things where they show a bunch of short scenes to kind of set up the problem, problem. on the patio Marcia comes out and just takes Jan's bike because her has a flat sorry and then Jan's watching TV and Greg and Bobby come in and turn the channel because they want to watch like the game the assholes though she's there watching she's like I'm watching a movie and they just walk in without yeah. even saying anything and just turn it like right she's not like even she's there. not even there and you can watch a movie anytime I've noticed like through the five years of the show whenever that happens it's the boys doing it to the girls when somebody that just comes and turns like in real yeah life. unless you ask our brother and oh wait that's for later and then the channel turner fa- falls off. Well, yeah, they off. start switching it back and forth. And I was thinking, they're not as resourceful as we were. Yeah, where's your pliers? Come on. Because we talked about, was it in the Christmas one? Yeah. We had no channel. I probably talked about it several. We had pliers. Yeah, we had to turn the channel. With and they all do that thing where they all start screaming at once. And so Carol comes in. What's the problem? And Jan says she wishes she were an yes. only child. I'll tell you what the problem is. I have to wait in line. I have no privacy. I wish I were an only child. Yeah. And, and she's out and they're just like what yeah and then she's talking to mike and carol later and she says i have to live with five brothers and sisters all the time and i'm thinking join the fucking club yeah no shit you're not the first one and carol says well they have to live with you or mike said one One of them says they have to live and she points out that her friend donna couldn't be happier she's an only child and couldn't be happier carol's like well she might be lonely there are two sides to every story and then mike gives a mini lecture oh yeah he says now jan What's good for one person isn't always good for another, and you ought to consider yourself a very lucky young lady. And Jan's just like, yeah, right. Yeah. And then Jan says that, well, Donna has asked me to spend the night Saturday night. Can I Can I spend the night? And Carol's like, but that's the night of the square night. <sighs> and Jan's like, can't Alice take my place? And I'm like, maybe Alice has plans. So like, those fuckers are going to be out of the house. I'm going to do something on my own. I'm going to go have sex all night with Sam. <laughs> Alice is just their plaything. And Carol says, I suppose, but, you know, we were going to be there as a family. And Jan says, well, Donna doesn't have to do family things. And sometimes I wish I didn't have any brothers or sisters. Then I could do what I wanted without anybody to bug me. Carol just looks pissed off by that. She doesn't like that. And I wanted to point out that... Well, this is, in some ways, a typical Jan hysteria, crazy person episode. I think the writing's evolved a little, yes. and Eve Plum's Her acting, acting got better. a lot better. Yeah. And she manages, I was almost a little disappointed, because she <laughs> manages to do it without that level of crazy hysteria. <laughs> maybe she's on some, some yeah. drugs. She does a good job in this one, and you mm-hmm. feel, maybe it's because we've all been there, her Yes, Pain. you and I definitely. So, we're in the kitchen. Jan goes, opens the refrigerator, and Bobby runs in. 
and steals an apple out of the refrigerator. And Jan's like, hey. And Alice is like, what? That was the last apple. Yeah. yeah. But Alice has one hidden. Yes, because she knows. And then Carol comes in. Yeah. Because she's going to go to the market because she's going to make strawberry preserves for the hoedown yes. charity auction. Or This hoedown like, has a lot of shit going on. Yeah. It actually it seems like it'd be kind of fun. And then Alice says, well, I was going to yeah, make strawberry gonna... preserves too. And Carol's like, <laughs> well... <laughs> My grandmother's recipe won four ribbons. And I guess Alice was going to make her like, aunt. Oh, interesting. My aunt's won six. Yeah, and so, so you can tell there's going to be a strawberry and, and, preserve smackdown. And Carol's like, oh, well, we can both make preserves. There's no, hmm, there's no contest right. between us. And then, of course, they both start acting all like competitive. Right. So now we're in the, they can, all in a garage, but it's actually a carport. And Greg and Marsha are getting the potato sacks for the potato sack race. Yeah, these burlap potato sacks. That they have they're to. They're all dusty. Yeah. So for some reason, they start jumping on them. To which, get clean the dust I out. I know, but wouldn't you, like, shake them? They have a discussion about why they're doing that, but it's it boring. It doesn't make sense. So Mike and Carol come home, apparently from the market, and they have straw hats for the hoedown. And so which they make they fun on. of, right, they make fun of rural people yes. for a uh, little bit because, yeah, obviously, the writers of the show and apparently the actors in it and everybody are all city folk. And rural people are just these caricatures to make fun of. And then Marcia says she hopes Jam will change her mind. And Carol says... Carol says it's a phase and she thinks she doesn't have any privacy. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not that she thinks she doesn't have any privacy. It's that she doesn't have any fucking well, privacy. okay. Now, I know this has been discussed by many people, but they obviously are well up off enough to have a Live-in maid. Right. And yet they shove everybody... Into th- two bedrooms. So, I mean, I wouldn't want to share bedroom with two Wait, other people. Where you have a Jack and Jill bathroom for six kids. Although, at least they have more than bathrooms. In it. We only had one full bathroom. Right. One. Well, Mike and Carol have a bathroom, but yes. you never see the kids Apparently using the it. the kids are I assume in Alice there. has a bathroom. Yes, I'm assuming Alice has a bathroom. There doesn't seem to be a downstairs bathroom on the other side. And on top of it, the kid's bathroom doesn't have a toilet. but greg says well you know that's the same as the rest of us and mike says well you know be nice to her just be considerate until she gets over it until she gets over it and then they make fun of country folk again and then (laughs) greg's on the we're in the living room greg's on the phone with amy and he's like your groovy red hair mysterious green eyes really turn me on and then she apparently Mm. says who's this because he's like (laughs) it's greg brady (laughs) and then jan comes in and she's like ah someone's always on the phone when i want to use it and greg is like kind of pissed but then he like switches and is like oh i'll I'll call you back amy and gives jan the phone and greg's wearing some groovy pink pants yeah have you noticed too that pete in these episodes is wearing this like collarless shirt with embroidery he wore that in the Uh, hawaii one yeah it's very groovy pete and mommy are in the kitchen counting their change and it turns out they have a dollar 55 which is just enough to buy a trick rope for the hoedown that they've wanted. But then Jan comes in with Teenager Magazine, and you can get a free bracelet, but you have to subscribe, and it's $1.50. And I'm like, it's going to take her weeks to get that. I know. And she goes, as and usual, I'm broke as... Broke. I'm yeah. broke as usual. And then Pete says to Bobby, should we lend her the money? And Bobby's like, what for? <laughs> and Pete's like, to be considerate, like Mom and Dad said. And Bobby's like, nah. And Pete's like, well, I'm going to lend her mine. Because yeah, he's cause a sweet... He's, nice. he's very sweet. He's very yeah. sweet. And Bobby's like kind of forced to loan her his because he can't get the 
the rope yeah. now. So he's like, fine. And Jan is kind of dubious. She's she like, says, what's the catch? Yeah. But she is thinking. And Alice points out, you know, it's a nice gesture. You know, so roll with it. The next scene is Marsha is putting fake freckles through in the Giant girls' ones. Room. Cindy's sitting on Jan's bed. Yeah. And because, uh, of course. Like she's using like a country folk are clownish. Yeah, they Giant these, freckles. Apparently have these fake freckles. And Marsha and Cindy both like kind of jump up when Jan comes in and apologize for being on her bed. And they're trying to be extra nice. Yeah. And they leave the room. We're like, oh, we're just leaving. And then as they're leaving, Cindy <laughs> says, have a nice privacy. <laughs> and you think that that would be some kind of clue to Jan. I'm, and also, I'm waiting for them to stop having Cindy act like an idiot all the time. Uh, I know. There's like tiny little now patches when she can act like a normal person. She must be like 11. Maybe? No, not that old yet. Eight or nine. No, she's not eight. She was eight in the teeter totter. Or she was. I can't remember. Wasn't she nine in the teeter totter? I can't remember. She's at least ten. I don't know. But in any case, then we're in the kitchen and Carol and Alice are making their jam. And they're acting squirrely. Very competitive. And Mike comes in. Well, they're trying to spy on each other about what they're doing. To see what ingredients they're putting in. Like, there's so many fucking ingredients. It's like like sugar sugar and and strawberries. And they ask Mike which one looks better. But Mike has bigger concerns. He doesn't want to commit anyway. But his overalls (laughs) for the hoedown (laughs) are huge. And they look like the size, you know, those fat brothers in the Guinness Book of World Records. Right. Right where they have like two normal guys stand in the one yeah. overall. Are yeah. they still? They, they probably still aren't the fattest because yeah. there's so many fat people. Well, in they're the probably world. dead by now. Well, I'm. Yeah, that's true. But they would even if someone's dead. Yeah, they, they would still be in the Guinness. Somebody's book. broke the record. Yeah. Remember when that used to come out every year? And yeah, you, we were obsessed with it. And, but anyway, oh, then it shows Carol and Alice tailoring yes. Mike with him wearing them, and so they're sticking pins <laughs> into them. I, I felt in a very, like, subtly aggressive or well, hostile you know way. What? Fuck him. Why does he buy the right size overalls? But Jan comes in, and Carol wants her to try on a dress for the hoedown. Yes. And Jan, she reminds her, I promised Donna I'd spend the night. And Carol's like, can you spend about. another night? And and I was kind of pissed because Carol already knew, had told Jan she could, and so why is Carol bringing it up again? I don't know. So we're in the living room, and Cindy's about to run up the stairs, but then Jan's walking toward the stairs, so Cindy stops and is like, Oh, you go. I'll go up later. <laughs> and Jan's like, Why is everyone yeah, being Jan's so nice like, to me? Jan's like, What the fuck is going on? And Cindy says, We're supposed to be nice. To- oh, but I want to say, too, that this is classic. I was so happy, because it's two classic Brady Bunch yes. tropes, yes. Cindy tattling, yes. and all the other kids being told to do something to yes. another kid that's going to backfire and the other kid's going to get pissed off. Yes. So Cindy's like, we're supposed to be nice to you until you get over your problem. Then we can forget about you again. Yeah. <laughs> and Jan's like, so that's it. And then she, this freaking. She pulls her by the arm. I swear to God. But she grabs Cindy by the and arm and drags, drags her, her up the stairs. And she goes into the boys' room because they're all in there. And she calls Marsha in. And she's like, you can all stop being nice Cut to out me. the special yeah. treatment. And she goes, I don't need special treatment. And I don't need you for brothers and sisters either. And she calls them fakers and phonies. Yes. Or and she says she would. If she were an only child, she wouldn't have phone each siblings. Right. And Greg brothers says... brothers and sisters, she keeps saying. And Greg says, if that's what you want, I'm sure it can be arranged. Yeah, if you mean it, then... And, and we're then like, here always, we go. Typical Brady from one like, extreme to another. Why don't we all just try... You know, Why don't we all just try to be more respectful yeah. of each other? No? But no, they can't do it that way. It's all or nothing. Right. You know? So they leave, but then they come back and Because Greg's like, this is our room. Why are we leaving? You know, it's funny. This next scene, they're in the living room. The family's all doing the square dance. Um, to turkey. Alice in the is straw. in Jan's place. And I expected them to show Jan at the top of the stairs watching. Looking but, more but we're not at that point We're not yet. at that point yet. No, in fact, Jan's on the phone 
to telling Donna that I can talk on the phone whenever I want. And she goes, oh, that music is just for my family's corny square dance. A little later, she's coming in the room, and Greg and Marsha are just standing there at the bottom of the Blocking her way to go to the stairs, and Greg's like, don't mind us, we're invisible. And I'm like, that's false. Because blocking her way isn't part of being invisible. No shit. And, and Mike and Carol are watching this exchange. With, with concern. They're, well, they're intrigued. Intrigued, they're yes. Intrigued. Yeah, and then Carol... They know that something is afoot. Right, and then when they're alone, Carol says, uh-oh, what do you think? And Mike says, I think it's better that the kids work some things out for themselves. And I'm like, yeah, since when... And then he's like, if that's the medicine she wants, she's about to get a big dose. Well, you can tell he really relishes it because he knows that they're going to do his favorite thing, which is trickery and manipulation and playing head games with somebody. And he is so. And when he says it's better that the kids work out some things for themselves, I think he's very proud. That they've learned how to do this without his prompting. <laughs> and he also gets to witness, like, like he gets to stand back and watch right, it's it Right, like, so instead of his parents stepping He's in like and them. saying, hey, guys, you know, why don't we all cut the crap yes. and get along with each other? He wants to see them yes. torture Jan. Yes. Carol is sitting doing some kind of embroidery, which she's always apparently doing. It looks like a different thing every time. And Jan is on her way out, going to the library. She's got books and she's got, like, a, a sweater over her arm. Mm-hmm. And Marsha comes out and says, not so fast. Snatches the sweater away from her and says, hey, that's my sweater. And Jan goes, but I always wear it. And Marsha's like, well, you're not my sister anymore. So, And Marsha's like, if I'm not here, neither is my sweater. Yeah. And Carol's like, Jan, do you want to stick to this deal? And I'm like... They keep calling it a deal. It really wasn't a deal. It was an argument where things were said. But Jan says, you know, and that's not fair. And Carol says, well, it is. You can't have it both ways. And then she slaps Jan on the butt. Yeah, which is weird. And then Bobby's in the kitchen eating what's apparently his second hamburger, according to Alice. And Alice is actually making preserves again, too. Yes. She has hidden a hamburger in the oven to give to Jan. And Jan asks Bobby to pass the potato chips, and he ignores her. And Alice is like, what's going on? And if I were Jan, I would just lean in front of the little fucker and take the potato chips, their arm's length. I know. And Bobby's like, well, I'm not here. Yeah, and then Greg comes in. And Greg comes in, and Alice is like, are you here? And Greg goes, no, I'm not here either. I'm invisible. And so they have to explain it to Alice, which is weird, because usually Alice knows everything that's going on. I know, she does. Which is pointed out in the next episode. And the next thing is Peter and Cindy are watching TV, and it's apparently a show where first someone's getting a pie in their face, and then a dog's doing backflips. And it sounds like the lamest show. I want to see a dog doing backflips. I guess I would want to see a dog doing. And Jan, first she tries to engage with Peter. Peter, like, ooh, what kind of pie do you think that is? And he just gets up and leaves. And then she says to Cindy, oh, I wonder how they got the dog to do that or whatever. And Cindy gets up and leaves. She, like, gets up and she looks at the record player, which she's sad. And then she looks at the checkerboard and she's about to call Marsha. And then she realizes that she can't. And she's sad. Right. And then we're back in the kitchen. Alice and Carol again making strawberries. And Mike walks in, and this is important for a little later, yes. says, I've died and gone to the strawberry, strawberry heaven. Oh, and they both force him to taste their strawberry preserves and want to know which is the best. Yes. And he says, you know, I don't want to sleep on the couch, and I want to get my meals on time, so I ain't saying. I ain't saying. Mm-hmm. Now we're on the... Hey, you know what? You can see the teeter-totter in the yard, but no tiger house. But later the tiger house. Yeah, is prominently, yeah. So that 
tiger house moves around. It does. The but they're practicing their potato sack race. And it looks like it hurts on that AstroTurf Is lawn. there anything you really need to practice? No. I Well, maybe a little just to get the rhythm down. And Jan is watching sadly, just yep, as I thought forlorn. she was going to do before. So now she's at the point where she... Because every time when a kid is excluded... Like when a, Bobby was afraid. Was yeah, when he was afraid yeah, of height? Yeah, and Marsha that time... That she, I can't remember now, was yes. watching from an upper... They're always watching forlornly. Jam has done it before, actually. Yeah. And then she wanders into the den, and Mike's working, apparently, on a plan for a supermarket. And she's... This she is a asks very good scene. He, it is very good. They're both really good in here. She asks him if she can watch him, and he goes, well, you can. It's not very interesting, unless you're interested in the supermarkets. And she's like, oh, I'm very interested. Aww. And she's crying. She's crying, but she's not sobbing. She's just... Right. She has tears down her face. She looks very sad. And he's like, you know, the kids are out it's back. It's very subtle. And she says, well, I'm good here. You know, I'm, this is fine. And then he says to her, you know, sometimes when you make a deal and it turns out badly. Or he says, both sides think it's a bad deal. So the best thing to do is to get out of it. Right. It's a very sweet scene, but then she, he, kisses he kisses her on the her lips. On the lips yeah, again, which I, which kinda, I was like, it, you know, it looks like he might be going for her cheek, and she, you know, but it's still it's like weird. But then the kids are arguing because, as we know, when you're from a big family, sooner or later everything turns into an argument. Well, they're playing, and well, they're yeah, and they were kind of having an argument, and then they're so she goes out, and I thought she was going to be conciliatory, or, but she has a very interesting approach yeah. to getting back into the fold. Yes, she comes out, and she stands in their way. And they start yelling at her. them to... Right, and she starts yelling at them, and she says she'll stop arguing with them if they promise to be your brothers and sisters again. Yes, she does. And I'm like, yeah, that's all fine and dandy until 40-plus years later when one of your brothers at the Christmas Eve party starts telling the three sisters how they're overreacting to sexual harassment <laughs> and mansplaining it oh, and God. bellowing over them. Yes. And then it's like, yeah, okay, maybe... No, he's always going to be our sibling. Yeah, I guess. So. Not that that happened or anything. No, I'm just projecting that's just what's going to happen. Brady's. She's going to go inside to call Donna. Call Donna. And tell her she's not going on Saturday. But then she she asks Carol, can I invite Donna? Yeah. she doesn't have a family like we do. Yeah, so she can come. Donna probably a fun... You know, other people's family are a lot of fun, even yeah. when they're arguing. People used to like our family. Well, I, I like going to other people's family things because I'm not involved in their yeah, arguments. Yeah, I like it's it when they argue. I, I like it when they argue, so it's like, oh, see, we're not the only ones. And then they start... Doing the sack race again, and they make Alice join in. And I thought it was going to be a humiliating Alice thing, but actually she does pretty she well. She does a good job, but the, a lot of them fall over. And the tag is they're returning from the hoedown, which there's always, every time they're going to one of these things, the tag is always them coming Right, home. coming and back in a mob, yeah. and they all have straw hats on. And their little uh, square dancing dresses with a poofy skirt. Yeah. And the kids are mobbing Alice in front of the refrigerator. And she says, you know, I'm invisible. Until tomorrow, I'm invisible. And she goes to her room. And then they all, like, just go into their d- fridge. Descend on the refrigerator like, like a pack of wolves. Like, is a bunch of food at the... Okay, and so one of the things I wanted to bring up is we've talked before about how the creator of the show, Sherwood Schwartz, and his son Lloyd, the associate producer, had so many issues with Bob Bob Reed wanting things to be authentic. Yes, and and accurate. And And most of that comes from Lloyd Schwartz. But in the book Brady, Brady, Brady by the two Schwartzes, Sherwood, he's trying to explain what Bob Reed is like. And he he uses the thing with the strawberries as a big example of that. So I'm just going to read a little bit. Okay. From Brady, Brady, Brady. And yes. this is Sherwood. Sherwood wrote the first 
like third of the book and then Lloyd wrote the rest of it. One good example of my problem with Bob was a scene in which Florence and Ann B. were each cooking strawberries in the Brady kitchen to compete in a jam contest, which isn't really true. They said it was an auction. Yeah, like, uh, but in any contest, case. And it wasn't jam, it's preserves. But right. Not to be like Robert Reed. Yeah, but... Bob was supposed to walk up to the entrance of the kitchen, and he was supposed to take a deep breath and say, This smells like strawberry heaven. When Bob got to that point in the scene, he left the stage. (laughs) I received a call from Lloyd on the set. He told me Bob went to his dressing room without a word to the director or anyone else. Of course, that stopped the shooting. The scene was lit, and the other performers were in place, but Bob was in his dressing room, and Paramount was paying for a lot of wasted time. Meanwhile, I was forced to leave my office where I was working on future scripts or casting or editing. I had to go to Bob's dressing room to discuss the problem. That became a frequent procedure. The following dialogue became a virtual mantra between Bob and me during my visits to his dressing room. I would say, what's wrong, Bob? He would say, if you don't know, I can't tell you. I would say, well, let's try English. This time, Bob said, I'm supposed to approach the kitchen where Florence and Ann are cooking strawberries, and I'm supposed to say, this smells like strawberry heaven. I said, I know, that's what's in the script. Bob said, you really don't know, do you? (laughs) And I'm not sure if it's necessary for Sherwood to relate all this dialogue, but in any case, Bob said, it so happens that strawberries, while cooking, have no odor. So how can I say it smells like strawberry heaven? I said, who said strawberries, while cooking, have no odor? And Bob replied, it's right here in my Encyclopedia Britannica. (laughs) Why don't writers and producers check these facts out? Bob wasn't the technical advisor on the show. He was an actor. Apparently, he couldn't act anything that wasn't accurate in his opinion. I said, Bob, I can smell strawberries in the kitchen, in the dining room, the living room, all over the set, and right here in your dressing room. Now, he says that, but I don't believe they were actually cooking strawberry preserves. You never see any or anything. I know, that is kind of weird. Bob asked, do you want me to believe your nose or the Encyclopedia Britannica? In fact, I don't think you even see a strawberry. Nah. But I didn't want to get into a discussion on that level. Time was flying away, and so was a lot of Paramount's money. I tried to find a quick solution so we could continue filming. I asked, can you look into the kitchen and say, that looks like strawberry heaven? He said, sure, I can say that. Bob didn't offer that as a solution. Through divine knowledge, I was supposed to channel his opinion and have it taken into account before the script was written. So, and we had to rewatch it to see. See what exactly he said. And And he he said, said, I'm in strawberry heaven. No, he said, it looks like I've died and gone to strawberry heaven. Or something like that. Yeah, it seems like I've died and gone to strawberry heaven. So in any case, another case of Bob Reed. And I will say, I'm not saying he wasn't difficult. But he's he's not here to say his side. Right, he's not here to relate. And we see from like the memos barry williams has of his how obsessive he was about things but i think he when someone's like that i know they're hard to deal with i think a lot of times they can't help themselves yes i've been bob reed (laughs) i can tell you they can't and he uh, it's because he cares but that was it was better than it was a it was a jam it didn't have the hysterical psychoness that earlier jan but I did had. think that scene between her and, and Bob Reed, it was yeah, good. It was, nice. it was a really good she scene. She was very good in that. And we haven't seen, like, just general prejudice. And then making fun of country folk was kind of a new 
thing. Yeah, they make fun of everybody. So episode nine, which is the third one we're doing today, is Career Fever. It opens with Mike coming home in the convertible, so we know it must be like two in the afternoon because Mike's coming home from work. like three hours a day. And one thing about this episode is that it's just all these really short, short, short scenes. Yeah, it's a weird... Because now we're in Greg's bedroom and Marsha's looking for help with geometry. And she's wearing a cool maxi skirt that used to wear. And you can see that Maureen McCormick and Barry Williams are crushing on each other a little. There's some unnecessary touching and very close standing and smiles. And she needs help with geometry. Because she can't see how it's going to help her in the future. And he's like, well, it sharpens your mind now. Why don't you give it to me, dummy, or something like that. Yeah, he tells her dummy. She notices this essay essay he was writing for school about choosing a career. And meanwhile, Mike walks by in the and hallway. he's nosing. He's watching through the he doorway. He stops to listen. Right. And Marcia starts reading the essay aloud, and it's about how wonderful architecture is. Right. And Greg obviously doesn't want her to read it. He keeps saying, yeah, don't he read it. Yeah, saying, stop but it. But then Mike and listens. And he's trying to, like, send her signals, like. Right, because Mike comes in the room. Because Mike comes in and standing there. As Marcia reads the entire essay, and Mike's like, oh, I didn't know you wanted to be an architect. Yes, because he actually says in the essay, my dad's an architect, and that's what I hope to be. Yes. And then after Mike leaves, Marsha's like, wow, you made Dad a happy man. And Greg's like, I only wrote that because I couldn't think of anything else to write. I don't want to be an architect. I don't know what I want to be. I know. And so later we're, we find out it's after dinner. They're sitting on the couch drinking coffee, Mike and Carol. And Mike is still excited. He's basking in the glow of a proud father whose son is going to follow in his footsteps. So he's going to be a narcissistic little model of what the man yes. sees himself and, as. And um, Peter and Jan come down and they say, because they were talking about careers at dinner. They started thinking yeah, about what they wanted to be. he's only two years younger than Greg. Yeah. I thought Marsha was two years younger than Greg. But yeah, but who knows? I, who knows? So Peter's going to be a doctor and Jan's going to be a nurse. Of course. Which is very gender appropriate. Yeah, and it's going to be so they can cure all sorts of terrific diseases and then they run off to play doctor. <laughs> and Carol and Mike look a little bemused. And then the boys' room, Marsha comes in to see if Greg has told Mike yet. Greg's like, no, I'm going to show him. And he's drawn this really weird house, Right, because why be honest and straightforward when you can employ trickery instead? And yeah, Yeah. and so he's got a really crummy drawing, and the house apparently has a moat around it. But like, Marsha's like, yeah, I can't tell what that is. That's weird, really weird. And Greg's is sure that once Mike sees his shitty design, he'll tell Greg he's not cut out for it. And, and I'm like, have they learned? They've they have never learned, no, they you know, why? That's not going to work, But Greg. why be honest when you can just go around in this very backwards way and try to force somebody so but when he shows mike mike's like wow you put a lot of hard yeah, work he's diplomatic him. he will not say that greg sucks nope i feel bad for mike he's like because really he looks kind of perturbed yeah, yeah he's really trying yeah yeah he tells greg to just keep trying and yeah then, yeah when greg leaves the room he's all like Ugh. frustrated yeah but later we're in the bedroom and carol's Carol like oh poor greg yeah. yeah and mike's like yeah i couldn't tell him the truth and carol wonders uh if Mike should keep encouraging him because he obviously doesn't have the talent. Yeah, but Mike's like, no, if he had the proper tools, you know, maybe a drafting kit and a, a book that would help him with his perspective. And Cheryl's like, he yeah. needs a lot of help with perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And so it seems like it's the next day in the kitchen and Alice is in there. And Jan and Peter come in with a bunch of medical books that they got at the library. I and then they go out to the patio and they're... 
reading about diseases. Yep, they're looking up diseases and making lists of diseases. And Alice is out there sweeping the patio and her back goes out. And Jan's like, well, what are your other symptoms? And Peter's like, I'm the doctor and I'll ask the questions. And then he asks, Typical of a doctor. what are your symptoms? And so they try to cure Alice. And apparently Alice has a lot of aches and pains. She and if I were, her back goes out quite often. And if I were Alice, I wouldn't rely on two preteens <laughs> who are reading medical books because they want to be a doctor or nurse to diagnose. So in the kitchen and Cindy and Bobby come in and tell Alice that Cindy's going to be a model and Bobby's going to be an astronaut. Yeah, and he thinks he'll probably be the first man on Mars. And I'm like, the joke's on him because he's my age. like He's like 56 or 57 right. now and there's been no fucking man on Mars or woman or even like anybody on the moon in the past 40 years. That's so, right. you know. Well, little did they know. And Cindy says she has to go on a special diet because she's a model and has to keep her figure. And Alice makes some remark about her figure, but I'm Why like. Don't you have, you got to have a figure first. Right. But I'm thinking, yeah, here starts years of anorexia or bulimia yeah. or food That's issues. That's right. Later, we're in the living room and Marsha's making Cindy walk with, <laughs> walk with the, the book, book on, on her, her head, head. Which Cindy is not doing well. Greg comes down and he tells Marsha. He's um, ready to break the news. Yeah. And right when he says, that Mike comes through the front door and Marcia says here's your chance. Yeah, but Mike and she leaves. Right. And Mike doesn't give Greg a chance to say anything. He has his old drafting kit that he was saving as a keepsake. Greg can have it and he can use the den anytime he wants and Mike's drafting table Aww. and so of course Greg has to go in the den. And he's agonizing and Yeah, and he keeps hearing Mike's voice in his head <laughs> saying, You can do you can use my drafting table. <laughs> Cindy brings Greg cookies and yes, milk. Just in the tradition of Brady's of people, women coming in and serving Mike while he's working in there. How come I don't get that? Because you don't have any women (laughs) at your house to serve you? Mom would serve me when I was working at her house. But he hasn't drawn anything and he tells Cindy he has a problem. He has a problem. Which she doesn't really care about. She says, so I'll stop bugging you. But again, she's growing up. We're not really sure of how old Cindy is, but she's not a baby anymore. And there are little flashes of her acting like a normal person. But most Probably of the time they just Susan Olsen tries to right. But most want. of the time they just make her act like an idiot. I know, including Maybe in the she scene. She has developmental disabilities. And speaking of which, Bobby's in the doghouse. Yes, the doghouse has appeared again. Tiger's house. It seems bigger than only usual. he's. Pre- it is much larger than it had been with a bigger door. <laughs> it's and he's bigger. He's pretending it's Apollo fifty-seven. Yep. He's pretending to be an astronaut. Alice is out there doing the laundry. Yes. And then, then we're back in the den. Greg's still agonizing. Marsha is there. She's hanging out. Greg decides to do something even weirder. Right. He's instead of telling Dad, instead he can't some, tell him now. He's gonna do something even. We- Marsha approves of this. Instead of Marsha saying, you know, tell him. I, yeah, just tell him. This is getting Marcia's out of hand. Marsha's like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And then Pete's in the bedroom looking <laughs> distraught, reading a medical text, apparently. And Jan comes in, and Pete has diagnosed himself. Yes, the whole pre-internet, but it's the WebMD Pre-WebMD, right. The WebMD, he's diagnosed himself with a fatal disease. He says the book says he has six months to live, which I find hard to believe. And he says the symptoms are shortness of breath, and which he had when he tried to run a mile at school last week, and sore finger joints, which he thought was from catching a baseball without, without a mitt. And Jan says, well, you are kind of pale. And he goes, well, facial discoloration is another <laughs> symptom. And Jan's like, isn't there anything you can take? And he goes, if I were rich, I'd take a trip around the world. <laughs> so he thinks he's going to die. Yep. 
And he has to break it to mom and dad. Oh, yeah. And meanwhile, down in the living room, Mike is like peeking into the den through those window things. You know, they're like openings. Right, as Greg's still agonizing over and, his. And Carol's like, I've never seen him work on something so intensely. Yeah. And Mike's like, he's been in there all afternoon. And Mike's like, well, you know, it's the tools, I yes. guess. Yeah, right. And Carol's uh, And then Peter comes down, he's all hangdog. They force him. He Yeah, he. it's a long scene yes. that he like beats around the bush. But it turns out that... He um, asked them if you have to be 21 to write a will. Right. And he tells them, look, here's what's wrong with me. And he takes the medical book and points. But it turns out two pages were stuck together. And what he is diagnosed himself with poison ivy. And Carol's like, so you're not going to die. You're just going to itch. But the thing is... His scratching wasn't one of the symptoms oh, he right. had, but that but as matter. we know, he doesn't have anything anyway. So yeah, uh, the other thing was uh, something that you would get from being in either in India or South right, Africa, bitten by some so, kind of bug or yeah. beetle. He's very happy though. Then he's end. not going to die. Yeah, yeah, he's happy I mean, about that. Now we're in Mike and Carol's bedroom again, and Greg delivers the weird building drawings. And they them. try to be very nice about it. Yeah, they don't really know what to say. Mike says it shows tremendous effort. Yeah, and then he's in the hallway telling Marsha, didn't work. And she yeah. says, look, you got to tell him. And meanwhile, Mike refers to Greg, to Carol as Frank Lloyd wrong. Which <laughs> 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 I, I thought funny. was funny. Yeah, and Carol's giving him the same You've got to talk to you Right. Just tell him. So Greg comes in, and he might do the thing where they're both trying to talk at the same time. And then finally, Greg gets to talk, and he says, I don't want to be an architect. And Mike's like, if you don't want to, I don't want you, you to. You don't have to you be one just because I'm cause one. But Mike, you know, he was basking well, in fatherly pride nah, earlier. He was, well, he was happy about it because he thought it was true. Yeah, that's true. It's not true. like he said, I want you to be an right, architect. son. Yeah, okay. Um, Carol tells Greg they want him to be whatever he wants to be. Yeah. Yes. And that's the end, except for the tag. Where Bobby and Cindy... Alice want, is making her grocery list. Right, and they have all sorts of junk food they want her to add. <laughs> because now Bobby's going to be a pro football player and Cindy's going to be a lady wrestler, so they have to bulk up. Yeah. How would you like if you could just tell somebody, oh, this is what I want at the grocery store, and then they could just go get it? That I would be thin. I would weigh 40 pounds less than I do now. It depends on what I'm crazy. Because they would cook for me, too. Oh, yeah. that's true. Yeah, like ice cream I want. So... Episode 10, so episode 10, Goodbye Alice, Hello, we have many issues with. Yeah. And so it starts in the yard, and Greg and Peter are playing kind of football with, with their books. books. They have the books are And they're running together. around and yelling and... Acting like they're like high 12. Drinks. And they run into the kitchen doing it, and Alice... Alice chides them. And she also has a Frisbee. It's kind of a big Frisbee. Yeah, she's like, who's is this? And they're like... She, she says, Bobby's, uh, and they're... Like, we'll take she goes, well, bring it upstairs. And so, of course, one of them has to throw it, because they they're guys. They tossing, and then Peter throws it, and it goes through those window things into the den. And it breaks the antique... Yes. Lamp. You can hear a crash. And the antique like, lamp we've never seen before. They go in there and Greg says, Mom's going to kill us. And then Alice comes in and says, you won't get off that easy. Yeah, and they're talking about trying to fix it. Yes, how to glue it together. And I'm like, do they remember the vase? Yeah, apparently not. Remember what Mom happened said with the vase? Mom said not play ball in the house. And yet you're going to try it again yeah, with yes. the antique lamp. And it didn't work with the vase. And they make Alice promise not to tell. And she agrees then, but she does warn them that, that their mom is not going to be happy. she finds out she's not going to be Happen. And so they're in their room trying to glue it together, and they think it's going pretty good. And Bobby knocks at the door, so they hide it in the closet. Yes, they don't trust him because he's too little. Right, and then there's this protracted scene where they have to keep getting things from out of the closet so he won't see the lamp hiding in there. And then Alice is down in the kitchen. And Carol comes home. 
and Carol's like, anything going on today? Or anything happened today? And Alice, and goes, Alice goes, no. And Carol goes, well, that was a pretty fast no. And it's, it's like, like you. I know. Like, so Carol's suspicious of Alice. She's already being a little antagonistic. Meanwhile, the boys are bringing the lamp down. Yes, and we're to the, worried that she, Carol will catch them, but she does Yeah, and she has these magazines that she got at the store, and she brings them into the den, into the study, and she immediately sees that the lamp is broke. Yeah, because it's got a big hole in it. And she screams yeah, for Alice. Yeah, she's like, Alice! And she asks Alice in kind of an accusatory way if she cleaned in there today, and Alice is like, no. And Carol's like, well, who was in here today? And Alice is kind of evasive. Yeah, and Carol's like, it's very important that you tell me what happened. And she's very accusing. She is. She's very like demanding. I mean, she's treating Alice like a child. Yeah, she is. Or, like, I, like she's one of the kids, and she immediately assumes Alice knows something that Alice isn't telling Alice her, instead of it. just saying, oh, okay, I'll find out from the kids what happened. If you don't know, if you're not the one who did this, yeah, you know, why You know, why is it up to Alice to know what happened to the lamp? Or to tell her. Yeah, so anyway, sure. the boys are in the room. But Alice does tell her. Yeah. I mean... We don't hear her. We don't hear her but say we it. But... See, but we see the boys in the room, and they're bitching about Alice and yes. blaming her for squealing. Bobby kind of sticks up for her. But she comes in to apologize, and she's like, I couldn't lie to your mother. And Greg's like, couldn't you just say you didn't know and what happened? And she's like, I tried, but she demanded to, to know. know the truth, and I couldn't lie. Yeah. Alice is really sad because they treat her like shit. Yeah, they're very rude to her. And then Carol's walking through the family room, and the record, the arm of the record player is on the end on the label. On the end, where it makes that noise that goes kind of like... And apparently it's been doing it all night, day, I guess. And and she goes in the kitchen, she's like, who's... Do you who know who's using the record player? And I was like, well, Marsha played that new record of hers like 20 times. Then it shows Marsha in her room, and she's saying to her sister, it's all Alice had to do was turn off the record player. Well, Marsha, maybe that's all you had to do. And she keeps calling Alice a squealer. Right. And I never thought Alice would turn and into Jan a squealer. And Jan kind of sticks up for her, but then Alice comes in. And chides Jan for not wearing her yes. glasses. She and know, you know, you're like, be careful. She might tell on you. Right. And then Marsha says, you told mom I left the record player on all night. And Alice is like, no, I didn't tell her that. She just asked me who was listening to records last, and I said you were. And Marcia doesn't care, and she's a bitch. And then Alice is kind of sad when she leaves. And she says to herself, no matter what I say, it turns into something I shouldn't have said. And, and I have to say, the treatment, and I know the writers didn't really intend this, but the treatment by both Carol and the kids of Alice is it's like she's their plaything yeah. to do with what they will. Well, the thing is, it's like, oh, it's all nice and family. She's part of the family until she does something to right. they, they don't agree with. And then and it's then like, they're fuck bitchy. you. They're right. an asshole. She, apparently, like right, apparently she's supposed to do Carol's job for her and police the kids and know what's going on. You and know, what else does Carol have to do all day? I know. She doesn't have a job. I know. She, and Alice does the housework and shit. Oh. I don't understand. But anyway, so the next scene is funny. <laughs> I remember. The, yeah, so Bobby and, and Cindy. Disturbing. Yeah, Bobby and Cindy come down and they're in robes and they say they're going to go yeah, swimming. Yeah, like terry cloth robes on. Right. And they're going to go swimming at the new neighbors. And Alice says, well, let me make sure you're not wearing those swimming trunks that are full of holes. Let me make sure you're wearing the new ones. And she opens Bobby's <laughs> robe and she's like, oh, you're not wearing anything. And she closes it back up and it turns out the new neighbor, Dr. Dr. Bromfield. And, I and guess his they're kids. 
kids. They're the skinny dippers. Family, they're naturalists. Yeah. And Bobby and Cindy swim, are very swimming. nonchalantly going to go yeah, over there and go, swim. Well, they, Cindy's like, well, we can't wear our bases. None of them are going to be Yeah, and, and Alice is like, well, you know, you guys go upstairs. You're not going. And Bobby you're, says, the doctor says that the son has a lot of vitamins. And I'm like, the doctor sounds like a fucking perv. Yeah. I'm sorry. And, and Alice says, you're not going swimming naked at the neighbors without your parents' Which permission. You go upstairs. So she's put in this position yeah, she's of having... to be a parent. Right. Until she's not supposed to be one That's anymore, right. apparently. Later, Alice is sorting laundry, and Jan and Peter come in from school, I guess. She asks them about school, and they, they just blow her off and totally ignore her. Rude and kids. Marsha and Greg come in and do the same thing, and Alice is sad. Yep, and then Bobby and Cindy are out in the garage trying yeah, to pick something. Alice is going out to hang out. Right, and, and so they don't see her, but she can hear them. And Cindy says, well, maybe Alice can fix it. And Bobby says, well, we can't trust her. And Cindy's like, yeah, that's right. She's not our friend anymore. And Alice is like standing right there. Standing right there listening. The typical Brady, somebody standing there. Well, they do it on soap operas all the time. I know they do. And then Bobby says, remember how we all used to like her? Yes. And And Cindy's like, and Alice is very sad. She's very sad. And then the next thing we see, she's in her friend Kay's kitchen. I guess Kay is also a housekeeper. Yeah, because the housekeepers, you all hang around together. Yeah, and Kay is playing. Maybe it's kind of like in The Handmaid's Tale, how the, you know. I I didn't see that, but I'll read the book. Oh, well, I didn't see it. I read the book. Oh, you didn't? You should read it. I I don't know if I can handle it. But Kay is played by Mary Treen, who's a character actor she's who's in been tons in. She's stuff from the 30s. She was in It's a Wonderful Life. But she's very matter-of-fact. Kay says, you know, it's not the end of the world. And she's like, can't you talk to Mr. and Mrs. Brady? And Alice says, well, I can't make them order the kids to like me. Yeah, and then Kay's like, you know what? You made the worst mistake a housekeeper can make is sure. to get emotionally involved with the family. Yeah, Kay says, Kay's I just... like, I don't do that. Yeah. I just go in and do my job and leave, which is very good advice. And Alice agrees with... With that and says, yeah, that's why I have to go, and you can fill in yeah, for me till like, they I have find to leave someone. Right away. Yeah, and Kay's like, well, what excuse are you going to give? And Alice, well, like, I'll have to think know. of something. And, and I thought, well, she doesn't really have to, but like, as when we talked about this before, you're like, well, maybe she doesn't want to just get. Yeah, she doesn't want to get into it. She doesn't want it to be a big emotional scene, I'm sure. Yeah, and I also, she, she doesn't want them to get to talk away. Her out of and it. And I've been in that situation before, like right. with a job or something. You're like, I just want to get away. Right. I'm gonna make up. And an also, she doesn't. I don't think want it. And I'm obviously speculating because the writers <laughs> aren't the state, <laughs> and but real. give them the chance to pretend that it's not a problem. Yes. And talk and, out and of Kay's it. like. Is this really what you want? I'll fill in for you. Because Kay wasn't working at the time. Right. And Alice is like, it's not what I want, but... But she needs to do it. But I need to do it. And then so... Alice is telling Carol, so I guess it's going to be that day. This is like in the morning or something. Yeah. No, it was Well, the kids are at school and Mike's at work. Yeah. So Carol is stunned. And Alice tells her that she's going to go work for her uncle, Winston, who owns a dress shop. And the woman eloped and took off, so he needs somebody right now. And she can eventually be a partner, and it's a terrific opportunity. And then Carol's like, well, you're like a member of our family. We love you very much. And I'm like, bullshit. And then Carol's like, can't you at least wait for the kids to get home from school? They're going to be devastated. And Alice is like, no, I've got to leave right away. I'll write him a letter. Right. And, And why I'm saying bullshit is, like we talked about before, she's a member of the family when they need her to be. They drag her along but make her work like when they went to the Grand Canyon or when they went to you know, Hawaii you're cooking yeah. you know yeah. and doing shit you know they're all delusional about who Alice is well it's like you know what someone is either they're either there to do the job or not they're not right. here you don't hire someone to be a member of your family right and it's funny because <laughs> even not like, that we ever, we never had any obviously any servants in our right home. well when before you were me. born we had 
like once a week a cleaning lady would come in for a few mm. hours or something. But That's different, though. Yes. In Brady, 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 Lloyd Schwartz had written about the fact that they had a housekeeper when he was a kid, and so people think it's not realistic. But in a way it is, because he was a kid back in the 40s or whatever. And people did have help and even this is, back then. Even poor people had I'm help. saying, yes, they yeah. had help in the 40s and stuff. Yes. Maybe in the early 70s, yeah. a little less so. But also, the way he talks about his housekeeper is in kind of this patronizing way where if you asked her, it sounds like the help. You know, if you yes. ask their point of view, it may be a little well, different, I but I, I don't even think he recognizes. In another one of our episodes, there's a documentary a woman did about her. I don't think she was her nanny. She was kind of like a housekeeper like Alice that was still living with her mother. The mother was elderly. The woman was probably in her 30s that did the documentary. And it's the same kind of dynamic. It's like... She's an employee, but she's also, oh, well, she's, we feel like she's a member of the family. Yeah. But it's like, but is she? Yeah. Because you don't pay a member right. of your family. And also, you don't treat a member of the family the way they've been treating Alice yeah. in this so episode. Anyway. So anyway, Greg and Marsha come into the kitchen, and you see the... It's after school. Right, apparently. And you see the butt of a housekeeper sticking out, because I guess they had a uniform that fit Kay, sticking out of the fridge, and it turns out it's Kay, not Alice. And Marsha's like, you're not Alice. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I'm Kay. And Marsha goes, where's Alice? And Kay goes... Gone. She went back home. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it just occurred to me, though, Alice is from around there because... But she's always flying that, off yeah. to... But remember when the... Yeah, that's true. So it and doesn't... And kind of has this fuck you attitude yeah. to them, which they deserve. Well, because she's on Alice's side. Then the boys are in the room, and they're very resentful yes. of Alice. Yes. You know, they do not she, get how it. How dare she leave them? Yes, because they need her to do their shit. And then the girls are in their room. And Marcia seems kind of happy. She, she goes, like, at least we don't have someone who's going to snitch on us anymore. Fuck you, fuck you. You know? And then later, like, Bobby and Cindy are walking through the living room. And they ask Kay to help them with a puzzle, and she's like, I don't have time. Yeah, I don't do that. You know, the boys want her to play basketball, and she doesn't. And 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 they're like, well, and she goes, well, that was Alice. I'm Kay. I'm Kay, you fuckers. And then Jan's playing... Kay's in the house now, Yeah, and Jan's playing a groovy tune on her... And then they start, they start showing her the way Alice used to dance. And, and she's Kay's like, oh, not that impressed. looks kind of silly. But my favorite episode, and this is it's evening now, and it's like, God, what hours does this woman work? And Carol's watching TV, and Kay brings her a snack and says, if you're all set, I'm going to go home. And Carol's like, well, why don't you stay and watch TV with me? Alice would watch TV, and ha-ha. We'd always end up watching her programs, ha-ha. Kay's like, well... I'm done for the day I'm going home. And Carol doesn't seem to get it. And for one thing, okay, yeah, Alice lived there or whatever. But this woman is an employee, and she's leaving her job to go to her house where she has her life. And Carol, what, are you going to pay her overtime? I know. For staying? And are you going to pay her to watch TV with you? Right. And I don't think the writers, I think the writers were trying to show us, oh, here's how they're going to miss Alice. And my thing is, what a sense of fucking entitlement know, these people I know, have. I know, That's how I felt, too. Now, you little monkey, I'm going to have you do this, yeah, you know? Yeah, come sit with me. Come dance to this yeah, tune. Yeah, I know. You know? Kay leaves the room, and Greg and Marsha come in, and they want to talk to Carol about Alice. They think that well, maybe they were, she left, they weren't treating her They were her giving nice. her the cold shoulder because, you know, they thought she snitched and on them. And I think, you know, as far as they know, she left because she and, had a really good job. And Marsha says, you know, we figured she just wasn't our friend anymore, and... And, and they kind of give her the examples of the snitching and stuff. And Carol explains what happens. 
And Marsha's like, oh, that's what she said, but I didn't believe her. And I'm like, well, why didn't you fucking believe her? But that's water under the bridge. But then Carol gets pissed. Yeah, she's very, very pissed. And um, Florence Henderson's acting is really good. Yeah, I mean, she, she is looks really... Pissed. I don't she think really I've ever seen it. Carol pre- She looks really pissed. This yeah. pissed. And she goes, you know, sometimes when you push someone too far away, they're not going to come back. That's right. And she's bullshit at the maybe, kids. Maybe Florence was pissed at the way that Alice is depicted in the But story. also, didn't you have a point about how... The oh, well, kids. I thought it was funny. Like, as far as they're concerned, that she left to go to the... And it sounds like the way Alice described it, the job was pretty good. Right. Pretty good opportunity for her. But they still her. think it was about them. Yeah, they think it's all about them. Right. Which it is in real, but, and then, you know, they didn't Gre- know that. Right. And then Greg and Marsha go in the kitchen, and Kay's in there getting her coat on and stuff. And they're like, Marsha's like, oh, you overheard all that. And Kay's like, yeah. And Marsha's like, well, you know, it wasn't about you. And, and Kay's, Kay's like, just yeah. like, fuck you. She doesn't, Kay doesn't and, care. And also, we... Yeah, I think Kay is... Uh, she knows the score because she's Alice's friend. Yeah, yeah, and she knows what's going on. Well, a couple of spoiled little entitled. But then the next day, she tells Jan and Peter that Alice is working at the Golden Spoon out yeah, at Fourth like, and Oak. I just happened to bump into. Guess who I bumped into? Yeah. So all the kids go out there, all six of them. It's a diner type place, and Alice appears to be the only waitress. waitress. There's some guy, older guy, who the is manager. giving people menus and seating them but he can't apparently do anything else yes and so alice sees the kids come in and sit in a booth and it looks like some of them are almost trying to hide their faces yeah, with their first. menus but it's kind of weird but then she sees them and she's all smiles yeah and she goes well i just got the other job didn't work out and i just got and she back. says she likes this job and meanwhile, a, a customer at another table is like, ma'am, ma'am, you know, and I'm like, what if she were taking the order I know. of them at the table? And Mr. Foster, the boss, yells at her, and yeah. the customer's yelling at her, and she's only been there a few she seconds. She doesn't seem to care. And while all this is going on, I just want to point out a black couple comes in, and they are seated. That's nice. Yes. You know, California, you know. No, I'm just saying, you know, the show isn't this, like, bastion they of do racial. Try to, well, they do try to. But they actually do have minorities on it and i'm not and i know there's a lot of people out there saying yes so fucking what but But they're they were trying they were trying a lot of shows back then weren't and i guess that's the point so alice does she basically micromanages their orders for them because marsha orders a an ice cream sundae and alice changes it to a fruit fruit cup cup. yeah because she doesn't want marsha to get fat and And things like that to put her glasses on and in the meantime that guy both her boss and And the customer customer, yelling at her and the customer's in a hurry and it's like well mr foster why don't you go and she says to mr foster these are the brady's and he goes well if you like them so much you can i can find a way for you to spend more time with them or something like that and she goes oh thank you and she takes off her apron and stuff and and she leaves basically quits on the spot she says she's going back to her old job and she's never gonna gonna leave it again and then the tag She's serving Carol, although they're both sitting down to coffee, Alice is serving the coffee. Of course she is. And Carol tells her it's good to have her back, and then she tells her all these wonderful things Kay Kay did, did. and then says, but it was the worst week we ever had. Besides Cousin Emma visiting, I guess they forgot about that. Yeah. So once again, wasn't there an episode a couple seasons ago? She thought that the kids didn't need her anymore. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. The first season. Because they had... Yeah, Carol. so this is kind of a rep- reprise of yeah. that in a way. Yeah. But again, the kids are bigger assholes in yeah. this one. We're seeing things that the writers didn't. No. But it is annoying the way Alice is basically their plaything. Yeah, she is. And she's always been like that. Yeah, like, but she enables it. Yeah. She does. She does. Just you like know? with Sam, her relationship with him. Yeah. But she just lets she him treat lets her. Him, yeah, she likes it. Apparently. Okay. 
So number 11, Greg's Triangle. Yeah. And the opening is Westdale High School, and Greg's coming out of school, and he says hi to a black kid. Who's wearing a really cool check sweater vest. He's got a huge afro. Yeah, 70s and, afro. And you don't see, he walks by again in the background. I yes. couldn't help but notice him. And then behind Greg, a pretty girl comes out. Well, and, Greg is at the drinking, drinking fountain. fountain. And yes, a girl comes out. And, and she and she smiles knowingly yes, and she coyly. Sees, she spots Greg. You see that she spots him and she arranges right, her and, hair. Right, she lets her hair down and kind of. And you so you can tell, we know. Greg doesn't know, but we know she's up to no good. She is up to something. And then she literally she bumps, into him. bumps into him. And, and then it, she says she's been wanting to meet him for some time. And he says... Her name's Jennifer says, Nichols. Yeah, and he says he's Greg Brady. And she's like, I know. And she basically gets him, you know, manipulates him into... He's going to teach her how to surf Saturday. Yes, and he give, well, he, Which he turns out it's the next day. And yes. she does the classic writing her phone number on his hand. Yes. Which I always felt like, you know, what if it gets smeared or goes away or something? But anyway, he's psyched. Yes. Yeah. And then the next scene we see is the backyard. Marsha is practicing a cheer. And Cindy says she looks like she's swatting right. a fly. Because Cindy and Jan are both watching yeah, her. Cindy and Jan that we see throughout this them. episode, all they are is watching Marsha. Well, you know. And Jan points out that Greg's the chairman of the committee that's going to pick head cheerleader, which is not the way it works. And also, well, even if it was, wouldn't he, like, recuse himself? You or, would think, but whatever. no. So obviously, Marsha's going to win. And, and Marsha's like, well, like, well, I want to win fair and square. Yeah. And then Greg comes home and, and he's, he's all like dreamy. dreamy. And Peter and Bobby are arguing about <laughs> Joe Namath, Joe Namath and Roman Gabriel. Gabriel. So there's a flash from the and past. And we all, I'm NFL sure people quarterbacks. know who Joe Namath is. Yes. Maybe now. And Roman Gabriel was also a NFL quarterback back and then. The, and they're like, who has the best passing average? And Greg is walking by and they ask him. And instead of answering, he gives them Jennifer's, Jennifer's phone, phone number. number. And Which he's, Peter immediately raised. He puts his book in the freezer, and Mike is practicing his golf in the living room because, of course, it's mid-afternoon, so he's not at work. He, he only works like four hours a day. You know, I'm wondering if eventually we're going to find out that Mike is one of those guys he doesn't really have a job, and he just pretends to his family like he's going to work every day because he's always home when they get home I know, from school. But then I also feel like being an architect, he probably does a lot of work at home. He's got that home Possibly. Office. Mike says to Greg, Joe Nelson's been needling me all week because he and his that overgrown son of his beat us at golf last Saturday. Yeah, so apparently they have a golf date. And on Greg's Saturday, like, oh, which is the next night, because I made a date with this girl. I met a fantastic girl. And apparently girl. no one else, and Mike's like, I understand, I'll get another and partner. And Mike's like, say no more. Nobody else in the family plays golf. But then Carol's like, if I took a lesson or two, I could be your partner. And Mike thinks that's the most ridiculous yeah, thing he's Carol's ever like, heard in I'm his life. Good. I'm good at swimming. Yeah, and he just kind of laughs like, oh, honey, derisively. And I just want to say, if she took, a, she wouldn't be ready to play Saturday, which is apparently the next day. Well, she doesn't know that. But she could, <laughs> but... If she took some lessons, she could probably be a good golfer and a good golf partner for him. Yeah. And he shouldn't be so derisive about it. Really. And then Mike's like, it's a complicated game. It's taking me years to practice to be terrible. Which (laughs) is a golf joke. You'll see golfers, for those of you who don't know anything about golf, I used to play. Golfers frequently make jokes about how bad they are and how hard golf is. It's one of those things. I'm sure it's it's not easy. I took it in gym in um, high school and I sucked at it. Yeah, it's hard. Not surprisingly. Yeah, but anyway, so Bobby and Peter are watching Greg comb yes, his hair. he's in his room in that mirror combing his he hair. He won't tell them who the date's with. And they're like, she must be a beast then, which is like, fuck you. Yeah, and so they start teasing him and making monkey noises and... 
And then now we're in the backyard, and Alice, Alice has a book about so, golf, apparently, and she's trying to teach Carol how to play swing golf. And, that, and, and uh-huh, it's it so reminds funny. me of when the first season when Carol tried to learn how to play baseball from using a book. A book. Yeah, and she did can't. a similar thing when she was trying to stand at the bat and right and get all contorted and everything. Silly. It's so funny. But and, then we're at the beach. They don't belabor that and very long. Greg's with Jennifer, and Jennifer's got a hot little bikini on. Yeah, and she is cute. buttering him oh up. My God. She is laying. They she order some hot so dogs. She goes, "Oh, just get me whatever you get." And, and then she's like, "Oh, you're and so she's totally overdoing it." And, but oh, with you. I was scared, but you were so reassuring. Uh, and he and like loves me. it. He's eating it with a spoon. And yeah, he totally eats it up. He doesn't see she how calls him Greggy. He's being played. Yeah. He's such an idiot. And then he comes home. Yeah, Peter and Bobby start teasing him, and Greg's like, look, I'm bringing Jennifer over to meet Mom and Dad. So, so no clowning no. around, guys. And Carol is, when he tells her he's bringing Jennifer, he's going to the movies with her, and he'll tonight. he's going to bring her over before. And Carol goes, didn't you see enough of her today? And Greg's like, can a person get tired of looking at the Mona Lisa? Because in this family, when people are smitten, they say things and like And then that. later, Mike and Carol are laughing Yeah, it's so after it. dinner, they're they're slouched on the couch. And they're like, ah, ha, ha, the Mona Lisa. And then Mike, Greg, brings Greg Jennifer and Jennifer in. walk in. And she totally butters up Mike and compliments He's handsome. The and then she tells Carol, oh, Greg must get his great taste from you. Yeah, and Mike and Carol know yeah, that they're just they, they roll their eyes at each other. And they're on to her. And when those two leave, is it Mike that says that was... Yeah, Mike goes, wow, talk about a snow job. And Carol's, yeah, like, what do you suppose she wants? Because they know when they see it. They know. Yeah, they know it because they're good at they're it. The, they're the experts. And then, once again, uh, Marsha is practicing her cheering with Jan and Cindy watching. And Greg comes in. And he's like, if you're trying to influence me just because you're my sister, you know, don't expect anything. And Marsha's indignant. She's, she's like, like oh. what the hell are you talking about? She's like, fuck you. And then the phone rings and it's Jennifer. And by the way, she has a very groovy oh, I love her. her yeah, it's very groovy cool green. And, but, and, um, and she goes, I didn't know you were on the yes. committee. What a coincidence. Because it's a dream I've always had to be head cheerleader. And then he, he's like, oh, no. Uh-oh. Because he had told Marsha he's going to be fair to Right. His words are coming back to haunt him. But I just want to point out, too, I was never a cheerleader. But everybody kind of knows how this, except for the writers of the show, this stuff works. And the guys on the football team don't pick the head no, cheerleader. Shit. If there's a committee or anything, it's the coach. it's either other girls the on the team and the coach. coach. I remember in my high school, they had probably a cheerleading coach. But there were a couple teachers for some reason. Who would pick the head cheerleader? Or no, just, pick just who, cheerleaders. Right, yeah. but the head cheerleader, it's like oh, the yeah, captain of the football be, team. It would probably be other... The Just other people on, it would probably be other the other people on other the team. cheerleaders right. maybe, but not for this plot. Well, that wouldn't be a very good plot, then would it? Because then she'd be trying to have a lesbian relationship with Marsha. Right. Or <laughs> so we're at school the next wait, day. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I've got I've got another quibble too. They okay. would all, wouldn't they already be cheerleaders? If they were trying out for head cheerleader. So yes. Jennifer Marshall would Well, you didn't even want to bring that up. Mm-hmm. But like as somebody points out earlier, well, anyone can try out for head cheerleader. And it's like, no, actually, you have to be a cheerleader already. And then I the head cheerleader so. is probably a junior or senior who's been That's on the squad. Think, you know. Because you have to know what you're doing. Right. But, you know. 
In any case, they're at school. Goes up to Greg. She goes, do you like this outfit? Because I'm going to wear it. To... And meanwhile, Marsha's in the back. And I know blue's your favorite color. Marsha sees them talking. And at this point, she just seems really creepy. She's got this blue sweater and a little skirt. Yeah, yeah Marsha comes up and approaches him, and she calls him Mr. Farron. Ooh, Mr. Farron impartial. Right, huh? she confronts Greg, and he's like, oh, she was just asking me about her outfit, you know. And she's and like, yeah, Marsha's right. like, yeah. And she's like, here you were giving me shit, and you're obviously... Right, you know, and then helping her pick out her outfit. Carol's practicing golf again, and she (laughs) just can't. And it's it is complicated. And then Bobby comes up and says, "Ah, "Ah, and he takes she's putting, and he does a perfect putt, and she's pissed. But then she does a perfect putt. She goes, "Oh, I guess the secret is closing your eyes and not paying attention (laughs) or something." Jan's in laying on her bed. She's got those little... <laughs> I don't know. She's got, she's got those little, little curler curlers things in the front of her hair. little curlers, yeah. Which was that? Was the style back then? Yeah. Marsha comes in. She's very tired. And she tells Jan all about Jennifer. You know, Jennifer's trying out, too. Right, and Jan's like, well... You're his sister, so he's going to pick you. And Marsha's like, you don't know anything about life. Right. And then Carol's in the kitchen, and Mike comes home. From work, which, so it's like two. Yeah, and he doesn't know she's been practicing. Yeah, she's got blisters. He's like, where'd you get those blisters? And she's like, well, I've been trying to learn how to play golf. And he's like, oh, isn't that cute? And then and she then shows. She's like, yeah. And then she shows him his. his she five somehow iron. bent his five iron, which is virtually impossible to do. I mean, you could hit a boulder, like slam it on a boulder, and it would be hard to. <laughs> but he just thinks it's cute. Yeah, he does. It. So Greg's in bed. And yes, Elaine awake, asleep. Except well, for Greg. Boys are asleep except Greg. And then he goes, I got it, and turns on the light, <laughs> like people do on TV. They always do when they wake up. Because you have, have to, to think, you can't out. think. with. And it turns out, he realizes, and I don't know why it took him so long to figure this out, but there's bright. three other guys on the committee, so they can pick, and he won't have to He won't pick. have to vote at all. So the problem I have with his theory is, it doesn't matter, because if one or the other had won, whether he votes or not, they'll still be pissed. Yeah. But, but we get the classic Brady boys pillow. pillow throw. So now we're at the committee, and it's four boys who all look like they're on the football the team. cheerleader contest. Yeah, but a very diverse group. Uh, but there are four boys who look like they're on the football team. Like yes, Greg about. and three guys. One of them with and the 70s hair. So there's a girl. There's like four girls, but one must have already gone. The girl and, with the pink sweater doesn't and she, go. Right, she's not mentioned. And then the first one up is Pat Conway. and She's played by Rita Wilson. Tom, Mrs. Tom Hanks. Yes. Right, and Greg is watching her with delight. Oh, God. Well, you know he loves his cheerleaders. Yes, we've talked about his cheerleader fixation yes. many times. And so he's probably doing the nasty to himself under the table. He's got now. his hands in his But pocket. Jennifer sees him watching Pat Conway yes. with delight, and she you can tell she's not happy. She then Marsha like does hers, and Greg is also watching Marsha with delight, and Jennifer doesn't like that. No. Then it's Jennifer's turn, and she kind of leers at Greg throughout her whole yeah. thing. And he's over to the side, so it's awkward, and yes. she doesn't do a good job. Marsha wasn't nope. that good either. No. But it turns out there's a three-way tie between Pat Conway, Marsha, and Jennifer, so Greg has to break the tie. And we don't know who he votes for. No, we don't. The next scene is... Well, Jan and Peter are arguing oh, about yes. who Greg would have voted for. Yes. Peter says he's going to vote for Marsha. And, and Jan's like, you don't know anything yes. about... Yeah. And then Mike is helping Carol... Well, helping, quote he's, unquote, the classic grinding into her butt as he helps crotch, her. And Greg she comes, actually likes. She does. She says she likes practicing. Right. And Greg comes home and he's despondent. And yes. it turns out he voted for Pat... But Marsha and Jennifer are going to be mad at him. 
And but Marsha comes home and she's fine. She said she said I give you a lot more more credit. Than- yeah, Pat was the best and she deserved to win. And so Greg's like, oh, if Marsha's not mad at me, maybe Jennifer won't be mad. And at he me. goes to call Jennifer and Mike and Carol are amused. And yeah, Jennifer and, hangs up on him. Yeah, and Greg's like, oh, could it be that she was using me? And Mike and Carol just laugh. They laugh derisively, yes. Then there's a tag. Carol's arranging flowers because she has nothing fucking better to do. No, she doesn't. And yeah. Mike and Greg come home from golf, and Greg's like, yeah, so we're going to do this every Saturday, you know? Yeah. And Carol's like, oh, did Greg have a good game? And Mike's like, no, it was terrible. But, you know, the pro's daughter was there, and she's this beautiful blonde with blue eyes. And then Greg puts his hat in the freezer. Of and course. And all good in Greg's world. Because apparently when you have a crush on someone, you act like that. You put I, your hat in the freezer. You put I things on. Because you're so preoccupied oh, with I your love. Okay. So this was a typical Greg. He did show some character by picking Pat Conway. Well, yes, but also it got him out of a jam. It did, yeah. Because either they're both going to be mad at him or he's going to get have one of them really mad at him for a long time. But, yes, but it's funny. He thinks he's such a player, but he got so played by Jennifer Nichols. God, I guess. Idiot. So today's final episode, everyone can't be George Washington. And I think everybody remembers this episode. Yes. It's where the obsession with Benedict Arnold that somebody comes has to with, a, comes, comes to, to a, a head. climax. Yeah. I think so. I don't know if they mention him again. We'll see. The first scene is the bathroom. Peter's posing in the mirror and Bobby's watching him. Yes, and he's like posing, doing these different weird poses and playing with his <laughs> hair. And he tells Bobby that he's got an audition for the school play, and he wants the part of George Washington, which is the biggest, and so he's practicing being George Washington. It's the biggest part. And and down in the kitchen, Peter's down there still, like, posing. Because he's kind of a method actor, yes, I guess. he's a method. He's in character. Alice and Carol wish him luck on his audition. Mm-hmm. And then later, I guess maybe, it's after school. I don't know, but Carol's... Because Mike's home. <laughs> Carol's in the... Den fawning, office. she's fawning all she over loves Mike. Mike's design. Jan got comes in. She got in the play, and she's in charge of scenery because her dad's an architect. And they asked how Pete did, and she says, "I think he did great." I saw him smiling, you know, when she left after his audition. But then he walks in, and he's all dejected. Yeah, I'm so sad, which she does all the time. And Carol and Alice quiz him. They're like, "How'd you do at the audition?" He's like, "Oh, I did well. He did terrific." Yeah, and Mrs. Bailey liked him so much, he got picked to play. A, a, harder, a part. harder part, which is Benedict Arnold, yeah. and now he wants to quit. I'm not going to do it. I'm quitting the play. And Carol says, you've never quit anything before. And I'm like, really? Yeah, I He hasn't quit anything that, before? Carol. Then she explains to him that Mrs. Bailey needs the best players in the right parts. And, and not everybody can be George Washington. And then she kind of plays to his ego and taunts him a little. You know, if you think it's too hard, then maybe you shouldn't do it. And he goes, well, I don't think it's too hard. And then it shows all the kids in the yard building scenery yeah, Jan for Jan. Yeah, everybody doing the work. And, and normally you'd be building it at the school, but I guess for plot reasons that wouldn't work. Maybe they don't have the room. Yeah, that could be. We're in the boys' room. Peter is running his lines with Bobby. Yeah, uh, it's a pretty poorly written play, if you ask yes. me. Yeah, um, and Carol's watching from the doorway. Yes, and Pete's big line is "Turning traitor doesn't come easy to me, Major, and it won't come cheap to the British armies." Mm. Because he wants the 10,000 pounds for... And he calls Bobby a dummy. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bobby's like, pounds of what? Yeah. And know. then Peter goes, British pounds. And, and Bobby's like, oh, he's British. And then he tries to do a, British, a British accent. accent. Yeah. He's so cute. And Peter does remind Carol that it's not an easy part, but he's, you know... Yeah. 
And then we're back to the driveway. They Where they're the doing more. Yeah. Effects. Cindy painted a happy face on the moon because even George Washington should have a nice day. Yeah. Mm. It's like, yeah, thanks. Yeah. And then get. we're at Fillmore High and a cute girl says hi to Pete and he mentions he's playing Benedict Arnold in the plane. She goes, Benedict Arnold? If you like being a traitor. He, well, he says, like, it's a great, yeah. he says it's a great part and she goes, it is if you like being a traitor. And then his ethnic friend, Harv, comes by he tells him he's playing benedict arnold and harv goes traitor yeah he gets really angry and then Stu, um his friend is tells him there's a ball game at the park and pete's like well you know i've rehearsal but i'll be back there after yeah and he tells him he's playing benedict arnold and he says so save me a spot and Stu says what for so you can throw the game at least these kids all knew who benedict arnold yeah, was Maybe they just had it. Yeah, but, you know, it was 200 years before. You know, people have to kind of get over it. (laughs) So they show rehearsal. And the kid who's playing Major Andre, who actually is... Pretty good. good He's kind of cute. Not a bad accent. Well, Pete asks Miss Bailey if he has to be a traitor. Yeah, Pete keeps trying to change it. And she says we can't rewrite American (laughs) history. And he and the kid playing Andre get into an argument yeah, about Andre it. Yeah, because Andre gets pissed. Yeah, he's, Andre. Wants, he's you know, like, know your lines, yeah, man. No shit. So back at home in the boys' room, Peter comes in with a bloody nose. Um, and Greg's, Greg's like, like, what the hell? It's just a map part. And Peter's like, I'm tired of this. Yeah, Peter and, wants to quit. Yeah, he's like, and Greg's like, you can't quit. You promised mom and dad. So Peter gets an idea. True Brady True. fashion. He'll get himself He'll get himself out kicked out. So at rehearsal again, he can't remember his lines. And Mrs. Miss ba- Bailey, I think. Miss Bailey's very helpful. I think she figures he has a little nerve. She's very helpful. She shows she has, a, she has a solution to everything. Right, the old actor's trick. Yeah, just put your script your down this plan that you're looking at. Right. That doesn't work. It's funny, uh, Major Andre calls me dumb dumb. <laughs> I know, I like the way they insult people. Well, because it. now it's not. It's not. Yeah, you can't do that anymore. So anyway, Pete's down in the dumps at home, and Greg tells him there's no way out. And Pete says there's got to be a way out. And he's... Pacing around the room, Greg Greg is gone. Right, and there's a roller skate on the floor, and Pete gets an idea. Uh, And so he fakes an injury that he He slipped on the roller. He stages an accident. He starts yelling. And so Ah. finally Carol and Mike come in, and Carol's like, oh, Mike, what do you think? Like, he's a fucking doctor. Well, you know, he's the man. Carol's like, well, I think he might have to stay home from school. But he's like, no, I want to go to rehearsal today. And so that's a nice twist in his little game because he makes it seem right. And Mike and Carol look a little concerned. And Mrs. Bailey, she sees him limping, but she's not. He's like, well, maybe I shouldn't be in the play. And she's like, no. No, Benedict Arnold had a limp on that very same leg. Yeah. He limped for the rest of his life because he was hurt in the war. And she says, isn't that lucky? Uh-huh, poor Peter. And then they go back to showing the... Right, now it's winter at Valley Forge in the backyard. And a nice continuity thing. They're yep. using safe detergent. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because they had gotten 2,000 boxes of it. Yes. Yeah. And Mrs. Bailey calls and Jan goes to get the phone. And meanwhile, while she's doing that, Pete comes home and he has laryngitis. And, he and says, Mike and Carol are not. Yeah. Dubious. And he says, Miss Bailey's going to get someone else to play the part. And Mike's like, his yeah. laryngitis apparently cured his ankle. Or Pete's gone and Jan comes out and tells him, well, the play's off because Pete has laryngitis and it's too late to get somebody else to play Benedict Arnold. Apparently there were no understudies for yes. this play. So Mike and Carol go to tell Peter. Yeah, Jan doesn't want to tell him because it would make him feel even worse. But Mike and Carol know the truth and it's lecture time. Uh, yes, they go up there to confront. And at first he's still feigning laryngitis. Right, but then he stops and he goes, everyone's riding me and booing and hissing and because I'm playing a traitor... 
And Mike's like, you're going to let a whole lot of people down. And he says it's pretty much what Benedict Arnold did. Ooh. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just like... It is. What? It's, it's exactly just the same like thing. It. And Pete goes, if I didn't play the part of a traitor, I'll be a traitor. Mm-hmm. And Mike goes, that's just about <laughs> it. Because Mike just loves fucking with his kids. Now we're at dress rehearsal. Yeah, and some of the parents are at the dress rehearsal. Mrs. Bailey's very excited. Yeah. And there's a young black girl who's the narrator, which Donna, is good. Her name's Donna. Donna. And she's cute. The costumes are very nice. Yes, they are. And so <laughs> Pete, that we see, get to see Pete's like dying see, on his deathbed, you yeah. know, years after the Revolutionary War. That's pretty funny. And how he regrets. I know it's a funny scene. And he's the girl that plays his wife. Yeah, he knocks her wig off at one point. <laughs> but Mrs. Bailey's like, wow, how did you cure Pete's laryngitis after the you know, dress rehearsal. And Mike's like, it's an old family remedy. And she's like, oh, one of the kind you give with um, some sugar to get it down. And Pete's like, no, dad just gave it to me straight. And And also Mrs. Bailey at the end of the rehearsal thanked both Mike for his help with the sets and some mother. another parent for her help with the costumes, which was so nice. I and was... I was thinking those costumes were a lot of yeah. She did a lot of work. And then in the tag, Peter is practicing George Washington lines, and Bobby's like, "Why are you still practicing that?" And Peter's like, "Oh well, I still wished I could have played him." And Bobby's like, "Well, you're forgetting one thing. When he went across the Potomac, the you know the water." splashing up and then squirts him with a (laughs) A squirt gun gun. and then they start wrestling and it's really cute so those are our six well i have a little special as my fun fact it's kind of a little longer than just a nugget of a fact benedict arnold if all you knew from watching this show was that oh he sold out for ten thousand pounds and it was actually a little more complicated than that and i don't want to get into some long boring history lesson before he turned traitor he was a war hero he in the Revolutionary War, he and he was very brave. And there were a lot of politics, even more than there are in war now. And like people took credit for stuff he did, and also sabotaged him in some ways. And he got fed up, and then he didn't get a commission he thought he should have because of all the things he did. But one of the biggest things he did is, in a lot of ways, lost to history because it ended in a defeat. It's probably not talked about, but since we live right in the middle of it, in 1775, they decided to go to Quebec City, which mm-hmm. was a fortified city, and take Quebec. And there were two different prongs, and his prong... They were going to go up, or they did go up from Massachusetts, from Boston, through Maine, Mm -hmm. to Quebec City, and then the other guy was going up through Montreal. And he thought it was going to be 180 miles and take 20 days, and the the worst part of it was going to be the boat trip from Newburyport, Massachusetts, which is right on the New Hampshire, Massachusetts border, to the mouth of the Kennebec River, which is what's now Phippsburg, Maine, Mm -hmm. and then up the Kennebec. And then they were going to go across the land when they got to the end and go to Quebec City and ah, take. And he had 1,100 men. Well, it turned out he got bamboozled. A guy from what's now Gardner, Maine, his last name was Goodwin, made some maps that were deliberately inaccurate because he was a loyalist. Ah. And then this guy in, at the time it was Gardnerstown, Pittston, which is on the Kennebec, who was going to build him these bateaux, these flat bottom boats, to go up the Kennebec in and so everything went pretty smoothly it took a little longer so they get to Gardner to get the bateau and they're shittily crappily made but he sent some people up the river to Fort Western in Augusta um, which was 10 miles from where they were and then some others by land to 
Newport, Halifax, in Winslow, yeah. which was, it's funny because the thing I read, it's described as decrepit. It was decrepit then left over from the French Indian War. They had actually stayed there until the April 1st, 1987 floods, and it yeah. got washed down the Kennebec, and yeah. now there's a replica. But I figure they must have taken Route 201 if they went by land. I was going to say, though, Route 201 is actually was a trail. The Arnold Trail, right. Well, it was a trail, an Indian trail. So my little joke was, but... They ended up, it ended up, a lot of his men starved. The trip was actually 350 miles, not 180. They ended up getting to Quebec City. He got there. His men had either left or starved. He had less than half of his troops. He wanted to surrender. They wouldn't take a surrender. There was some other chicanery regarding boats to cross St. Lawrence and stuff. Finally, Montgomery, the other guy's troops, got there. And they had to attack Quebec City, even though it was a fortified... And if you've ever been to Quebec City, you see it's a, it's a fortified yeah. city. And it was a suicide attack, but they had to do it. And Montgomery was killed, and a third of the men were killed. After all that, he managed to come back and defend Fort Ticonderoga in New York from the British. He was commissioned as a brigadier general while he was on his Quebec City thing. And he was put in charge of West Point, which was a fort at the time. And that's what he ended up. He sold the plans or whatever to the British. And then he became part of the British Army, which actually, even though he became the poster boy for traitorism, what he did was not that abnormal in the Revolutionary War for men lower down because so many people were still loyal to the crown. And you figure, this is a revolution. So these are the guys fighting a revolution against their government. But because he was so high up. But he was a very brave and decorated. Yeah, and and he was not appreciated. He got pissed. Right, and the story about his trip up the Kennebec, in any case, I'm not saying what he did was right, but he, you know. He did more than just that. Right. It doesn't negate anything he did. Right, and there are still, like in Hallowell, there's that big Arnold trail. Yeah, it's got a little thing On the river. So anyway, and that was. Thank you. And so that is episode 14 i think of groovy tube i think so we'll be back in two weeks with episodes 15. 13 this was 7 through 12 oh, i thought you meant of groovy tube if confusing we'll be back with brady bunch season four episodes 13 13 through 18 18 so uh, let me tell you i'm looking forward to what they are loving the older man Ooh. I remember that one. That the dentist, good. remember? Yeah, the dentist. Law and disorder. Greg gets grounded. Ooh, yeah, I huh, remember that I one. I don't know if I remember oh, that Oh, you'll remember. Amateur night. Oh, Jesus, mm. another one with the show. More acting and singing and shit. Bobby's hero. Oh, yeah. And the last one is the subject was noses. So we will see you next time. Yeah, and Thank look for you. us on Facebook and Twitter. And um, Instagram, we say. <laughs> Instagram, yeah. I, I don't know about And if Instagram. you want to donate, you can go to Crime and Stuff Online and donate through our Crime and Stuff. Yes, through Patreon. Patreon and PayPal. And so thanks for listening. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. You got to say stay groovy. Oh, stay groovy. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Thank you. And a special thanks to Ben Sound for our groovy music.